Welcome back to the Adam's Word podcast. We're here in the home with Michael McNeilis today. Thanks for joining us. That's great to be here. I'm sure, yeah, it is great. So we're excited to hear your story and to learn a little bit more about you. Um, Why don't we just jump right in? You can tell us about your childhood, where you grew up, and some of your hobbies and family life. Okay. Um, So I don't know. Where I grew up is always kind of a... I moved around a little bit, not a lot of it. I, 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 I didn't move as much as, uh, you know, other people. I wasn't a military brat or anything like that. But um, my dad was um, in medical school and then went and did his residency. And then, so we had a couple of uh, moves. So I was born in Michigan and um, lived in Grand Rapids till I was, I mean, I was still in primary five or six. It was before I started kindergarten. And then... Uh, we moved to Arizona just for a short time and then where my dad worked for an HMO and didn't like it. And then we ended up, uh, going up to Utah. My dad had been raised in Copperton, Utah. His dad was, a uh, worked for the mining industry and he'd grown up there and then yada, yada, I'd lived with his grandma there. And, and so Utah was kind of home for him. And, uh, we went back there and he started up a practice and uh, he worked there for a while and then got a really good offer to go back to Arizona and work with a, a group of doctors. And we went there again for just a little over two years and it was not what he, it didn't pan out to be what he had hoped and then ended up back in Utah again. And, and I, I spent my entire high school career there. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of, I feel like I was kind of like a child of the eighties as far as, you know, we were running around all over the neighborhood and riding bikes. And I don't, I don't think anything that was really atypical of that era playing football in backyards and, you know, just, yeah, just the neighborhood, neighborhood, neighborhood games. scene. Yeah. Neighborhood scene. That's, uh, that's, that's what I remember a lot about childhood playing army when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10, and just running around all over the place. So, um, nice. So is that kind of where you call home or do you call home any, anywhere Uh, specifically? You know, I would never, I should, (laughs) I should never say never, but I, it would take a lot for me to move back to Utah again. So even though I, I lived there for a while, just culturally, it's not, it's not a place where I really fit in. So, gotcha. Yeah, it's a you know it's interesting because I, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, but just that kind of uh, keeping up with the Joneses, very close knit culture that exists there is is not uh, I don't do <laughs> well in it. So yeah, yeah. There's definitely a difference between culture of the church and as yeah. in Utah and outside of Utah, yeah. and it's, it's it can be felt yeah. so for good or for bad right too and there's good aspects of it but that being said you know when i lived in arizona i missed the mountains every day because when we did yeah. live there because <laughs> Catherine and i met there and then we lived there for a number of years and i i every day before we had kids i was in the canyon every single day like because we just lived close so i could i could jog and in 10 15 minutes be in the canyon i could ride my bike and be you know riding up any of those little peaks there and it, it i mean that was idyllic yeah so fun yeah uh how about siblings any siblings along the way yeah so i have a sister that's seven years older than me so she was quite a bit older than than me and um 
and it was all like a, it was all, everything kind of revolved around my dad's, uh, schooling and career and all that kind of thing. So he, they had my, my sister before my dad started medical school and then it just was not, there was no conducive time to have another kid. So, (laughs) so then, uh, so then I was had when, when they were, when he was in residency. So it was, um, there's that seven year gap. And then my brother is two and a half years younger than me. So, okay. Yeah. Are you pretty close with them? Where are they now? Um, so my sister, I've been, she lives in Arizona still. She and her husband, um, lived there actually before we, we had moved there. And then, uh, my brother lives in, uh, Huntington beach, California. So yeah, that's a fun place to visit. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic when you visit, but yeah. And he's, you know, doing great as his own business there and does his thing. So yeah, I would say, um, just because of the age difference, my brother and I are closer. We had a lot of shared growing up experiences that were, um, you know, having a, a dad that worked 70 hours a week, we, we kind of, we kind of have Step some stories. Here. Yeah. When I was looking, you know, thinking about this interview a little bit, I'm like, how much do I want to, cause like some of it may sound like a sob story, but it's not, it's just my dad worked 80 hours a week. You know, it was just what it was. It's not like, yeah. And, uh, and he and I have some, shared stories about, you know, being left in the doctor's lounge and well, cause you know, we were supposed to go somewhere with him and he got a call. So mm-hmm. he, sh- he would, you know, stick us in the doctor's lounge and we would, you know, drink too many chocolate milks and you know what I mean? Like <laughs> he would just raid the doctor's lounge refrigerator and, uh, and watch cartoons while he did whatever he was doing, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, uh yeah, I don't want to present that as anything, but you know what it was. So yeah, but he and I had have good memories of of that kind of thing. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like that. So, good deal. Um, you know, tell us about just your educational upbringing. Um, you probably went to maybe a few different elementaries in in your younger years and Yeah, I do we I did go to a few. I went to in in uh Arizona, I went to Carin de la Mariposa, had a Spanish name, <laughs> School of the Butterfly, which as I was older, I learned what butterfly means in Spanish. And I was like, oh, that's a little interesting. But um, then uh, and then when I was in Utah, I finished up my elementary days at West Westvale Elementary School. Still can remember their little song that we had to learn there. And then I went to middle school and, and high school in Utah. So. Utah. What part of Utah was that? So I went to Bingham High School, which is in South Jordan, which is just a stone's throw from the Jordan River Temple. But I mean, it's, it was interesting. Like part of that, part of it, it there was a little bit of our heritage kind of thing. Cause my, my grandmother, um, her dad had worked for Kennecott Copper Mine and that Bingham was like the high school for Kennecott Copper. And it was actually used to be up in the Canyon. So my grandmother went to Bingham High School. And then, of course, my dad, who lived with his grandmother during his high school years, went to Bingham High School. And then, although it was in a different building when I went there, I went to Bingham High School. And it was interesting to kind of, um, my, my grandmother was a cheerleader when she was there and they had pictures and stuff. And there was my, you know, grandma in her long wow. skirt. And yeah. <laughs> so there was a little bit of that. I, I mean, I guess that's, there's some roots there that. Yeah. Especially with your all the different places you've moved around, yeah, and then it ended up back in that same spot, yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of 
kind of fun from the family perspective. And I remember my grandma, when I went to high school there and she was still alive and, and kind of talking to her about her high school years and her sharing some memories. And that was a pretty cool thing. So nice. Yeah. Um, Good deal. Um, Any other, you mentioned you had kind of brainstormed some, some stories of playing with your brother growing up. Any, any stories you'd like to touch on before we go on to your professional path? Um, I don't know. Like I, uh, growing up, I, um, I mean, I've, I have, my brother and I would, I mean, we had a lot of fun toys and things that my parents would, you know, like we had a Nerf hoop and yet we always ended up seeming to throw like balls into cups that we placed at different distances. You know what I mean? Like, so I remember making up a lot of games and, and playing a lot of like, just throw the football between the gap between the two (laughs) shelves. You know what I mean? Like try to get it. Um, I I remember doing that with him. And then of course, cause you know, we were both boys and when we were both teenagers, just, you know, getting in an epic wrestling and fights and just, you know, beating (laughs) up on each other, which is like, you know, people are like, that's terrible, but I don't, you know, we would do it all the time (laughs) in my, uh, we we had, we lived in the basement. We had our rooms in the basement and my, you know, of course my mom would yell, we'd get, start getting loud. My mom would yell down at us and say, what are you guys doing down there? And, you know, instantly we knew if we'd been, we were fighting, we would be both be busted regardless. <laughs> so it was like instant stop. Nothing. <laughs> it's kind of loud. Oh, we're just, uh, up. <laughs> yeah, playing around. <laughs> but, uh, nice. yeah, I mean, those are, you know, throwing baseball in the backyard. And I mean, cool. Those are just kind of the, a lot of the, the happy memories that I have from, from that time period. So, um, I guess the other thing I was thinking about actually, so, um, from growing up, I had a young men's leader named Marcel Davidson. And so I, I was really, when I got into the scouting program, that was like my jam. I really enjoyed the hiking, the camping, the backpacking, like that was all really cool for me. And the merit badges were, you know, not hard. And so like I had my Eagle Scout by my, it was just a couple of weeks after my 14th birthday. And, uh, so then I was kind of like, now what? And at the time we had moved from one house, you know, just neighborhoods over to another. And, uh, I ended up in a different ward with, um, this leader and he ended up being my young men's leader for, uh, like it, Oh, it was like three, three ish, four ish years during that time period. And he, he was probably the best young men's leader for our group at the time, you know, because I'm a Gen Xer. And so, we were all like, let's go do some, you know, extreme yada, yada, yada. And he was all into it and he'd been climbing rock climbing since he was in college. And so he, he took us up as teachers and taught us all how to rock climb safely and how to, which, um, a couple of us really got into it. And we did that. Like I did that all the way through high school and college and, you know, really just, you know, kind of these, not your traditional sports. Do you know what I mean? At the time that was fun. Yeah. That was like, you rock climb. That's, you know, yeah. yeah. So, the new CrossFit. Yeah, 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 right. And so, um, but he had such a huge effect on us as far as he, he, he used some of those really good moments where he had our attention to kind of mold us and help us learn and grow. And, you know, in some ways more, I mean, in some ways more than my father, even he, he had just a really big impact on my life. Um, just having been that guy that was like, and he, he had only daughters. So there were several times when 
he would call me up and he, say, you know, hey, a couple of, you know, guys from the ward are going backpacking. You want to come with me? And, mm-hmm. you know, we would go and do three days up in wow. up in the Wasatch Range or the Uintas. And and he was just great just to include me and, and really had just an impact on my youth. So when I whenever I think back on my youth, as far as, you know, some friends and some other things, I think that um, Marcel probably had one of the bigger impacts of, cool. of anybody in my youth. So that's yeah. great. I like that. Yeah. We all need uh, those adults that aren't our parents in yeah. our life yeah. to, to help yeah. with different aspects. So why don't you tell us about what you do professionally now and how you got to that point? Yeah, I have a long and sorted <laughs> path to get to where I am. So I am, um, I'm a registered nurse in the ICU at Deaconess hospital. Um, I've been doing critical care for, oh geez, 15 years. And, um, but you know, if you do the math, I didn't actually start working as a nurse until I was about 30. So, um, when I, um, graduated high school, I went to college for a semester and of course, you know, really was preparing for a mission and some of my classes, I didn't do that great. I got a couple C's and didn't really care. And, then I went on my mission and came back and I just knew that I was going to be an engineer because on my mom's side of the family, um, I have an uncle with a master's in mechanical engineering. Um, my other uncle has a PhD in mechanical engineering. My aunt has a PhD in chemical engineering. And, uh, my mom was a math major. Like they're just, you know, like I had all of that growing up and I was always good at math and science. And I thought I'm going to be an engineer. You know what I mean? Like that was just kind of the path I was assuming. And so when I went into to college, I went to uh, UVU, as UVSC at the time, and um, I uh, started down that path, you know, and I did math classes and I did, um, I loved those physics classes, really, really enjoyed my physics classes. And um, I got into my second semester of calculus and it did its job and it weeded me out and I got... <laughs> I got a D plus and um, like one of my uncles, cause you have to understand like going into an engineering major, most engineering engineers go into their major, like you're accepted into their program with like a 2.9 GPA. Cause you know, not too many people get A's in calculus. Like that just doesn't yeah. happen. And so my one uncle was just like laughed it off and was teasing cause his brother had had to take it twice and was like, Oh, you know, Brent had to take it twice. He should just take it again. And I was like, no, there's <laughs> no way, that. <laughs> no way I'm going to take it again. <laughs> like I just could not, I couldn't even do it. And so I actually quit school for about two years and I got a job working as a draftsman for a tooling company. So um, I would draw, do the technical drawings for, they made precision diamond cutting tools for the automotive and aircraft industries, um, which, which just means that, you know, they would bore out the holes where your pistons would go or, you know, the brake pads or any of that, those kind of things. They put a diamond edge on it so that it would last for a long, long time. And I would do the, the engineers would do the math and the draw, you know, and I would draw them up on CAD and send them out to the production line. And there was some other stuff I would do with production. And, uh, because of my background, that was great for me at the time, but I realized quickly from that experience that I could not sit in front of a computer all day. Like that was just not, you know, the first four hours of the day were usually fine, but around lunchtime I was, you know, 
making excuses to go check the production line or being like, you know, just like I, it, it just, I couldn't sit that long, but, um, so, but I, I mean, that wasn't a long-term job, you know, that wasn't something where I would end up again, partly because I couldn't sit there that long. Um, so I ended up, um, going back to school and, I, initially, I, I, for a semester, I thought I would do industrial design, which is like the artistic side of engineering, where you know you do the the schematic drawings and put up put out the fun flyers and all that kind of thing. And I thought that would be my way to go to not have to do the calculus, but uh, <laughs> ended up in doing a behavioral science major and ended up really loving that. So I graduated, um, and with all my messing around, I actually did it fairly quickly. So I did um, went through the summers and. Uh, graduated with a degree in behavioral science. Actually, for the first time in my college career, actually got like A's, made the dean's list, did all those things. And I thought, this is my my jam. This is what I'm <laughs> going to do. I love the research. I love the writing. And um, I'm going to be a clinical psychologist. That's what I'm going to do. So um, I graduated school. I applied to several grad schools. I did not get into any of them. Two of them I was waitlisted at. It's it's really clinical psychology programs are really because there's a high clinical part of it. They only accept maybe twelve students, and they'll have hundreds of applicants. And so two of them I was waitlisted on. My scores were really good, but um, two of them I was waitlisted on. So I finagled and called and called and called and and finally bugged them enough until I could find out why I didn't get in and what. And they were like, "You don't have the experience that you need." And I had worked in student health services a little bit in college, but they were like, "That's not." you know, we're looking for more. So when I graduated, I applied for, um, a job working in the inpatient psychiatric unit at, uh, in, in Provo at Utah Valley Regional Medical Center and thinking like, okay, I'm going to get some experience here in a couple of years. I'll apply to graduate school again. And, you know, off we'll go. And <clears throat> while I was working in patient psych and Catherine was already studying nursing at the time. So that's where this all gets a little bit because people think we met in nursing school, but we didn't. She, she had been doing another thing and, and ended up deciding to do nursing. And so she was in her nursing program at that point. And so I went and worked. It wasn't even a thought on my radar for me to do that. So I went and worked in patient psych and, um, I saw there what psych nurses did, which is not a lot. <laughs> and, and they spent a proportion of their day, you know, reading the paper, reading a book. And I was like, man, I love to read. I, I could. And um, the interesting thing then I found out too there was that a starting psych nurse makes more than a starting clinical psychologist at the time. Um, the clinical psychologist would end up making a heck of a lot more, but their starting pay was about the same. And I was like, huh, well, geez, that's a lot less schooling. And, um, then at that unit, we had a couple of psychiatric nurse practitioners there, and they made way more money than the clinical psychologists did. And yet they still were able to do group therapy, you know, and they, then they could prescribe meds too and, and work in that setting. And I was like, man, that seems like a good gig, you know, like maybe I should do my psych NP and I could, you know, do go through nursing and do that whole thing. And, and, uh, and so I went back and took my prerequisites for the nursing with the intent of becoming a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Again, kind of that same route, but not that yeah. same route. Um, but then what happened is when I went to school, all of a sudden, all of that mechanical background that I had 
with the physics and everything else is people don't realize is that physiology and physics, I mean, it's, it's very, very similar. And so all of a sudden, you know, I was, you know, doing very, very well in my physiology courses and, um, really, really anatomy, not so much, but the physiology, I really, really enjoyed it, you know, cause when you think about it, your body has got, you know, it's got air intake, it's got a pump, it's got some filters. I mean, it's, it, it kind of just all, it's a, it's a complex system and it's it, a machine. <laughs> yeah. And when you think about it, just, it, they all work together. And so all that just clicked with me. So, um, the only time I made the Dean's list in my nursing program was my critical care section. And, um, that it just, it resonated with me very well. So when I graduated, I did work inpatient psych a little bit just for my boss's sake, because she was really nice about working with my schedule while I was in school. So I did that part-time at nights. And then I also worked on a, on a telemetry floor for a little bit until for, for about a, I did that for a little bit. And then I worked, you know, on ICU step down. And after I had worked full-time on ICU step down for a year, my manager pulled me in for an evaluation and kind of said, yeah, I don't think you should work here anymore. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? You know, like I've been trying real hard. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, they have a position open down in ICU. I've already talked to their manager about them. They're expecting your application. And, and I was like, okay. And so then I've been doing ICU ever since. And I did ICU there. And then I was able to go and, and work um, down in Arizona. And I ended up um, being recruited to go open in oncology ICU there, which was a wonderful experience, but burned me out after four years. Like that population is really hard. And, um, and then I went and did some general med surge ICU there and then COVID hit and here we are. So yeah, there's, there's the career in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Uh, uh, how about we backtrack a little bit and, and, uh, talk about how you met your wife and a little more details about how you met okay. her. And so, um, I was still thinking I was going to be an engineer and I was, I'd gotten back from my mission and I had gotten a job at Frontier Pies as a waiter. Frontier Pies in Provo, Utah. If any of you know the uh, <laughs> the joint, it doesn't exist anymore. But um, so I was working there, and I had a roommate who was really into this new uh, dating scene on the computer, and it was like, <laughs> dude, you're weird. <laughs> and um, I remember him coming home like it was like one in the morning when I had gotten off of work on like a Saturday and uh came home and was cooking some food and he was up like chatting with some girl on this the singles website and uh I you know he was like oh go check out this girl I'm chatting with you know blah 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 and even the chatting thing was kind of newer you know like at that yeah. point like okay Tom whatever and uh, I went and checked it out. He's like, really, you should look at this. It's really cool. You know, you can search. And and so we did. It ended up we did a little search for me. So he looked on his profile and um, there were a couple of girls that popped up. And uh, so we we're emailing from his profile for someone that didn't even have a profile on the thing. And uh, Catherine had popped up on that and her friend had like talked her into doing it. And so she had put her little thing up there. And so Tom emailed, you know, I emailed from Tom's thing and gave him my, my, uh, email address and whatever. And she was the only one of like the two or three that had popped up that emailed me back. 
Okay. And so we emailed for like a couple of weeks and I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, not really, this is stupid, but I was like, Hey, you know, this is my work schedule for the week. If you wanted to pop in and get a piece of pie, you can meet me. Cause I wasn't sure as heck wasn't going to give my address or my phone number. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you didn't know. Work yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so then, um, I was getting ready to, to leave a little early cause it wasn't, wasn't a very busy night. And, um, the hostess came back and said, someone just requested a table in your section. Do you, want it or are you going to go home like what are you and i was like who is it she said you know i was like oh 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 hey <laughs> and uh so i was like yeah give me the table and it just it just happened to work out you know you look back in those things and it was probably pretty serendipitous do you know what i mean in that situation yeah. that i was like already good to go i took this one table and i could just leave uh-huh. so i you know brought him some pie and and uh we chatted for a little bit and then, uh, we went out on a date that night and wow. That, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And, uh, I never dated anyone after that. So crazy. There you go. Yeah. But yeah. So kind of, a yeah. Anyway. Love yeah. it. Love it. So all, all of these stories about how spouses are met are so, so crazy. So interesting mm-hmm. and so inspired. Yeah. You know, God has a hand in, in all this stuff. Yeah. So. Oh, very much. So. <laughs> cool. Um, how about we go into some of the, um, more spiritual side of, of this? How did you gain a testimony of the gospel? Did you grow up in the church? Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't really love the term grow up in the church because, <laughs> um, while you may have had that exposure and that definitely makes things a little bit easier because you've got a little bit of that learning. Um, I was, like I said, a child of the 80s and Generation X, so I still remember being 14 years old and being like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, do all these crazy things. And I was kind of, you know, definitely pushing the envelope as far as, um, you know, doing what I should be doing at that point. Just, you know, maybe not listening to my parents like I should have been and kind of being like, yeah, whatever. And um, I remember having my first year of... Um, seminary and going because you know you're supposed to go and I I mean to be honest like I had been a pretty good kid up to that point there was nothing that I had done that was like really grievous or anything like that but it was starting to get to that point I think you know just those rebellious teenage years where you start to be like I don't know if this is really you know we'll see and mm-hmm. and you could kind of see um some of those things that were, you know, were appealing as far as just being off of the, the mainstream that, that, uh, I, I was thinking about at the time and I had my first year seminary and it was new Testament. Um, and I remember getting the challenge to just read my scriptures every night, read the new Testament every night. And so that was my first real, um, me independently reading the scriptures on my own without somebody else pushing me to do it. You know, like I had to make the decision and I had this, um, stopwatch that was an old, like wind up, kick, 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 you know, like 60 minute stopwatch that I had gotten from my, when my grandpa passed away, he, I'd gotten this stopwatch and I was like, okay, I'm going to give it five minutes a night. Like, that's it. Like, I was like, okay, I'm going to read the scripture the read the new Testament for five minutes a night. And, um, I think I still have that old um, Bible that I had where I, and I would just put a little pen mark by where I had the verse I had left off on. Cause when it, uh-huh. when it, the five minutes was up, 
my little stopwatch, you know, Done. tick, tick, tick. You know, it's been five <laughs> minutes. Punk. Yeah. Put the little mark and that was it. And I, and it was very much one of those, you know, prove me now here with experiences where, um, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And if it's the right thing then I'm going to know, and then obviously I need to, you know, straighten up and fly. Right. Um, and so as I went through and just spent that five minutes a night, you know, some, a change started to happen for sure. And, um, I remember then starting to, to pray, you know, and I think I prayed on the regular before, but my family was never super good at like family home evening and all those kind of things. But, you know, um, I started being really like earnest in my prayers every night along with that, that reading. And, uh, and I remember a specific moment where then towards Easter, so I was around this time of year, um, when they showed the Lamb of God in seminary. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because you watch it now and it's the production value isn't as good as it was <laughs> then, but it, then it, it was like a very moving uh, a video. And so we watched that in, in seminary and I was like, I watched it and I was like, bawling and just like, cause I knew at that point I knew, you know, and I, I from that moment, um, I can say, you know, hundred percent that I have a testimony of Jesus Christ and, and of the atonement and what he did for us. And, and from that moment, I mean, that is, if you, you know, you hear other religions talking about the moment you were saved or, you know what I mean? Born again. And, and I can say from that, that those experiences that I had, and then from that moment, then I was, I was a bit of a changed person. And, uh, that testimony really grew in, grew in me from that point on. So nice. Love it. Thank you. Um, how about just through your adult life over the years, how, what has mostly nurtured your testimony, kept you going, um, in your faith? Um, you know, I grew up, my mom was one of the things that she did really well. You know, because again, I kind of being a doctor's wife in those situations, you know, where he was gone so much in a lot of ways, there's there's a certain degree of her being a single parent. You know what I mean? Um, not that she you know didn't have a spouse that loved her and supported her, you know, to a degree. But his his primary concern was with his to his patients at that time. And so she did a really good job of instilling in us that we had the tools that we needed to um to receive revelation from ourselves, even from, from a young age, when we would face decisions that were even silly decisions, you know, like looking back, silly decision, silly teenager decisions and silly youth decisions. And, um, she used to say to us, uh, well, have you prayed about it? You know, which, which at the time, I don't know if a lot of parents were doing that. You know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. wasn't definitely wasn't emphasized in the church, but she always said that. And so that is another thing that I've carried with me through my life is that I have the ability to know these things and know what to do. And, um, it's interesting through the years that I have gained an even greater testimony of if you are willing to let, um, let heavenly father guide you, let God guide you, then he will. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it's like, you know, doing things that you don't necessarily want to do. And it's, it's been interesting as I have become a parent because I see those moments in my own kids' lives just with everyday things. And I'm like, man, 
this is how Holy Father must feel. You know what I mean? Things that he knows that you need to do. And you kind of say, I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, but, um, but you, he knows that if you do, then you're going to be better off. And so, um, I, we have, Catherine and I have both tried to live our lives and have our marriage and have our lives together, be, be guided by the Holy ghost and, and be guided, you know, by the spirit. And so there are times when we have done things that didn't make sense and weren't the easiest things to do. And they have definitely pulled us along. We had, um, a really hard time having kids and it was interesting. Like I, I learned a lot about prayer and about, um, being guided along. Cause it was, you know, it was five years and you, you think you're doing, want to do this righteous thing. And people that didn't know would say things that were not, not cruel, but they just didn't understand. Um, like we had one, you know, neighbor of ours who we kind of got along with. And he, I remember him saying to me, you know, if you do what the Lord asks, the Lord will bless you. So you should probably be. And I was like, Oh, you prick. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you have no idea, but, um, but yeah, so that, but that whole time I remember praying, you know, to have kids and if we should have kids and what we should do and, um, going to like, even going to the temple, I'll never forget one time going to the temple with this in our hearts. We haven't prayed about it. I think we might've even been fasting and we went to the temple and we left the temple, you know, just wanting an answer so bad. And, um, I remember leaving and talking to Catherine and being like, well, how do you feel? Well, I feel good. Yeah, me too. But, but like, what? Yeah. What's the answer? So what's the, and there was <laughs> nothing like just nothing. But then it's, it's when the time is right, things, things happen. And so, I mean, it just, everything works out in, in a way that you, you know, you never would expect. And, and, uh, yeah. And so even when, when we've done things, like when we moved down to Arizona, um, there was no, like, I want to move down to Arizona thing. It was, uh, I'm feeling this way, Catherine, what do you think? And she's like, yeah, I guess we got to go. And she was not happy with me about that by the way, because <laughs> her whole family was there and yeah. you know what I mean? She'd kind of grow up in that area, er grown up in that area. And, and, um, she, she doesn't remember this now, but she was kind of unhappy with me about that decision for a while. And so we moved down there, but then the growth and the things that happened there obviously are for a reason. It, it's interesting because up here, this is a lot more of my kind of an area. And so, um, we ended up here in Spokane because, um, for the past, so like every summer in Arizona is just miserable. And every summer I'm always, I was always like Google searching, like <laughs> where's a better place to live Very than this? Better. This is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we would, uh, so she always knew that I had all these little different places in mind and I would, um, just pray if probably for the last few years I've been praying, Hey, if it's time for us to leave, you know, and this wasn't like I was begging or wanting to really plead to go, but I was like, if it's time for us to leave, you have to tell Catherine because I'm not going to be the bad guy this time. So please <laughs> let her know. Please let her know. And I'd done some research and I used to love Boise and I used to love that whole area. Um, but it's become way too overgrown and overpriced over the last couple of years. And so I would, I would look around, you know, up here in this way. And I had talked about Spokane six months prior or something like that. And, um, one day she came home and she was like, so tell me why you like Spokane. Like, what is your, 
thinking on Spokane, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, there's, like, lots of outdoor stuff right there. It's more like, you know, what we like to do. It's smaller, but it's bigger. You know, there's still a Costco, but it's not, like, <laughs> you know, it's not like Phoenix where it's, you know, ridiculous metropolitan. And uh, so... So she was like, oh, okay. And then I just left it alone. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then she just couldn't get it out of her head. And so it, I mean, just even further um, with all the experiences and through COVID, and I mean, we could spend hours just discussing this, this topic, but um, then she, you know, came to me a couple days later. was like, I can't get Spokane out of my head. I, we need to go. Like, it's time to go. And we have no family here. We've got no anything and so you know we're really excited to see what you know what comes of this because yeah. we learned a lot in Arizona and, and it was interesting because after we moved up here I was like why did we have to go to Arizona first this is way cooler yeah. <laughs> this is way more of a uh, fun place than Arizona and you know we've been kind of talking over the last few days and just the lessons we learned there and the things that the support we had when our kids were little and different things was was necessary I think at the time but uh, we're really happy to be here so Awesome. Anyway, why don't we wrap things up by uh, getting your thoughts on what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Um, you know, the, I, I it's interesting because bef- I would have I would say even four years ago the answer would be so much different than what it is today, and how the world has become so much different. And um, I I really really really. Um, have a testimony that being a follower of Jesus Christ right now is not just about your testimony and just about knowing that he is your savior and knowing, you know, having, having a testimony and understanding of the atonement, but even more so, um, it's being about, uh, it's about being willing to, um, do what needs to be done in these times. Um, and so there's a lot of listening involved, um, definitely following the prophet, listening to what he's really saying uh, to all of us, because it, in, it's in, always interesting to in my mind, it's so plain. And yet, you know, some people aren't really listening. And so I really, really feel like being a follower of Jesus Christ is being willing to listen right now and, and to be ready for his return uh, and to be preparing and helping others and helping our families. And uh, so that we can, we can all be ready together for the return of our savior. So perfect. Love it. Thank you, Michael McNeilis. Thanks for joining us. Yeah.